Welcome to the Next Level Business Podcast for entrepreneurs who are looking to take their business and wealth to the next level. To the podcast, guys. Welcome, welcome, everybody. So, Shane, who do we have on today? All right, man, we got a special guest today. So, I've been looking forward to this one. And, uh, you know, if you're in business, you probably have a mentor, right? And the recommendation that that we want to give to everybody is you need multiple mentors. You need mentors with health. You need mentors with business. You need mentors on the real estate side. And so, you need all kinds of mentors. But my mentor in the real estate side and a guy that I look up to today, and he's always been that big brother. You know, that big brother is always more successful than you, and you never could quite catch up to him. And, you know, we've been, we go back now 20 plus years, and I still haven't caught up to him. And I can tell you, when you have a growth mindset and you're on the same path, right, about the same level, you're never going to catch that guy in front of you. You'll never catch him if, if you're on the same kind of growth plan and we are. So today is my privilege, my honor to have a guy by the name of Jeff Strong with us. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Welcome. Shane. Appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Good to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I gave a little story there, but uh, tell the audience about yourself. Uh, okay. I don't know how far we want to go back, but um, I can take you back to how I got involved in real estate. And that is um, I was living in Dallas at the time and I was um, doing ministry and I was um, in, in an urban area, not making very much money. And my wife got accepted to grad school at UT. So we had one child at the time and we packed up our bags and, and went to UT uh, and lived in Austin. And while I was in Austin, I was a probation officer. And I met a guy down there that did real estate actually through. So through a, a fellow probation officer. He had this class that he was teaching these kids about money. And he asked me if I wanted to come and sit in on it. And I said, sure. So it was like on a Tuesday night. And I was amazed that it was a three-hour class. So um, the kids went from, I think it was like 6.30 to 9.30. Um, so I came and sat in on half of it. And in that short hour and a half, one class, I learned more about money than I had ever learned before my entire life. And so it really piqued my interest. I went home, told my wife about it. Um, and then he said, hey, I, I, there's this guy here in town that I learned a lot of this stuff from. And it was right at the time when we were about to, to move back to Dallas. I moved back to Dallas and I signed up for a three-day seminar he had. And he Same gave me guy. Same guy? Same guy. He gave me this book. He said, I've got a friend of mine that wrote a book. Um, he said, I think you should read it. And I said, okay. And it was a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But yeah, I know this is in 1999. So it was just coming out. And I had a buddy here in town um, that we had uh, done some stuff together. And so him and I went down to Austin. It was 30 hours. So it was 10 hours on Friday, 10 hours on Saturday, 10 hours on Sunday. And that one class and then reading that book afterwards totally gave me a new perspective on money on investment, on my future. 
um, and I got hooked on it. And I remember going out trying to find my first house and him and I bought one house. It took us forever. We studied it, looked at it, and it took us, I don't know, three months of debating. And luckily it was still there. And so uh, we bought it, rented it out, and then I went and found another one. And um, and he kind of became my financial backer. And that's how I kind of got started in, in real estate. How old would you have been at the time? Uh, 28, 32, I was probably 35, 34, okay. 35. So it's never too late. I, I mean, I got started at 34, 35, had not done anything in real estate. Yeah. I and thought I can, in some ways I missed my boat. I graduated high school, came out, started doing ministry, did that for the first 10 years. Um, so while all my other buddies were coming out and one is an attorney and one's a colon surgeon now as a doctor and one is in real estate with a master's degree. And so one is, has his own company. Um, I feel like I kind of missed the boat in some sense, but when you, when you really love what you do, it's, you just soak it up like a sponge and I couldn't read enough. I couldn't um, meet other people and, and talk about it enough. And, you know, that's how it kind of started. Yeah. And I can tell you, I met you in 2001. I don't know if you remember that or not, but uh, so not long again, I was behind you a couple of years and I've always been behind you, but we bought our first house. I started with two other guys. We didn't know what we were doing from Adam and we bought our first house from Jeff. Oh, down in exactly South right. Dallas. That's exactly right. And we yeah, had, remember, you remember Mr. Well, Ball? <laughs> yes, I sure do. I do. Yeah. And we had this great idea that, wow, there's a way to be able to buy these houses and have no money in the game. And it, and one hand, it was genius, right? I, I was on, on one side of the coin, I was flipping houses and wholesaling houses. Um, and then I got into keeping some and buying, remodeling and selling them. And then I got into with you, Shane, buying them and leasing them. And it's that whole idea that you could put it under contract, borrow the money from this friend, and put HVAC in it and a new roof and then refinance out of it, pay him back, actually be able to keep a little extra. Now you got a house and there's a renter in it and you got no, and there's no, and you don't have any money in it. The problem is if you're not very financially stable and those houses go vacant and they have the HVAC stolen or damage done and you don't have the money to, to repair it, that can go downhill pretty quickly, which I uh, soon found out about. Yeah. So you, you've been at this game, I guess, 99, 20 years. Man, you have done a ton in 20 years. And none of us been roses, right? No. I mean, there, there's been big ups, there's been big downs, and then there's been big ups. And just talk a little bit about kind of the setbacks that you had and how they brought you out and what you learned from those and where you are today. So there's a – there's a quote, and I don't actually remember where I where I learned it, but there's a quote that says, nobody leaves the farm without a limp, <laughs> right? No one leaves the farm without a limp. It doesn't mean being on a farm is bad, right? You have a lot of, you learn a lot of great things and you do a lot of great things and a lot of fun, but no one leaves, leaves the farm without a limp. So That's my a great quote, line, by the way. limp would be uh, starting those the houses. I mean, I was so excited about it. If you can remember just kind of how we would get, all jazzed up about talking about this house or that house. And also the people that went in them when we were tied in with 
you know, people and property both and the idea of being successful. Um, and because I, I could only see success and good, I, I was I had my blinders on to um, what other things could happen. And I think I jumped in too much too fast. So I was wholesaling houses, which had very little risk and did well there. And then I was remodeling and selling houses, um, definitely more risk. Um, sometimes I'd hit my goal, sometimes I wouldn't. And then on these houses we bought as rental properties, I mean, I loaded up to, I don't know, maybe eight or nine or 10. Um, and soon as I had the first round of people not paying or, uh, uh, or, or of them moving, and then I had vandalism and I had three or four houses I had to put even just two, three, four, five thousand $5,000 into, I just didn't have the money to do it. And so at that time I had a situation where I had like a lady sued me for <clears throat> her dog getting out of the backyard and attacking somebody else even because it was my rental property. Then I had another lawsuit on some sheetrock that fell down and hit this lady's mom on her back. And the lady I'm actually renting from, she wouldn't come to court and testify because she knew the mom was trying to get money from me, but still, it was still a lawsuit. Um, and I had several bad things happen and I didn't have the money to put into these rental houses and I ended up having to file bankruptcy. Um, and so that was a tough time for me, but it, and it was a learning experience, right? I, I had experienced a lot of good and a lot of success and learned a lot of stuff that was great. And I, didn't see this other side. Um, and so that was a, a very humbling time. Um, and, and I remember that and, and it was not a great time for you. And, uh, but th those lawsuits, it, I'm glad you touched on that because that's something we've got to be aware of as landlords. That's right. Yeah. And you got to get some good umbrella insurance, you know, in, in times like this, and you don't want to own properties with no uh, safety net. You're hitting exactly. that well. You've got to have three or four or five grand just sitting in the bank to tide you over because bad stuff will happen. That's right. That's right. And and you got to have, I've always heard, I and mean, especially from rich dad, poor dad, I always heard that you want to surround yourself with good people and have a, have a team. I just never saw myself at that level of having the money to be able to have a lawyer on hand or CPA or, or uh, any other kind of counsel like that. But really it doesn't take much. You don't, you don't, you don't have to put up any kind of retainer. You just need to, through other wise individuals, get some referrals and then spend the 150 bucks for the hour to go meet with the attorney or the CPA and just get some advice. And at least you establish that context. So whenever something does come up and you really do need that person, you, you've already got that. You've already made that bridge. All right. So the bankruptcy happens. <clears throat> I remember that that was what? Oh, seven, oh, eight, oh, nine, somewhere in there. Correct. So, yes. Transition out of that into what you did next. Yeah. So the bankruptcy happens. Um, now I lose all the rental properties. Um, I still am doing wholesaling because that's um, a, a thing I just never left. Uh, I would send out mailings. So that was a supplementary income for myself. And then I went to work for a friend of a friend that was doing commercial real estate. So it's so interesting how a lot of times things that are we, we view as negative actually turn out to be a positive. Yeah. And I will tell you, the uh, the guy that he's talking about was on our show with Fidel. And yeah. uh, we had him on there. We were talking about marrying business and commercial real estate together. And so you go to work for Wit, 
go to work for real on the commercial real estate side. That's right. And they own um, buildings and I go to work for them as more or less a project manager. So if they have a building and they have a tenant come in that I'm the person who gets the bids to build it out for them. So I learned, um, I've already have a, a um, somewhat of a commercial construction, I mean, not commercial, but a construction background knowledge of electrical and plumbing and drywall. Um, not that I know how to do any of those things, but I, I know how they should be done and pricing and that kind of thing. So I go to work for them uh, as a project manager for their buildings, kind of overseeing their buildings. If there's a roof leak, if the HVAC goes out, if a tenant moves out and another tenant needs walls moved, I, I do that for them. Um, and that was my front door into commercial real estate of understanding how it works. And even though I had done a lot of residential, um, I would sit in some of these meetings that Witt and his cousin <clears throat> would be in with other brokers or other sellers. And they were talking language that was a little bit foreign to me because you got to remember, I didn't come from any kind of finance background. <clears throat> I, I didn't come out of school wanting to be in business. And so all the finance terminology was new to me. And I would go into some of these meetings and go, wow, that went right over my head. And fortunately, when the meeting's over with, I was able to talk to Witt or Frank and ask them, like, why did you say this? Or, or what, what, what does that benefit you if you do this? And what kind of return are you looking on? Or why are you saying cash on cash? And why is, you know, you, why is, you know, 30 cents so high or, or how does, why wouldn't the bank, why wouldn't the bank loan on this? Or why do you need more equity? Um, so I would ask all these questions and I really felt like, uh, like I got my MBA in a sense, working with those guys. I mean, they were both extremely knowledgeable, um, both very successful in what they did. And I was, able to ride around in, in the truck drinking coffee and asking questions and looking at buildings and being a part of it. And even though I got paid very, I didn't, I got paid, I didn't, I'm not going to say little, I got paid um, decently for that time period. But what I learned was just, you know, tripled in value what I was actually getting paid monetarily. Hey, Jeff, let, let me, let me throw a point in there right there. Now you can tell just from how Jeff's talking, he's a humble dude and he is, but, uh, Never be afraid to ask questions, right? So Most instead definitely. of, you know, you have these guys that are above you, you know, and on a daily basis, you know, you're sitting in these meetings, instead of you just walking away and not wanting to look foolish because you don't know what they're talking about, you would be humble enough to say, hey, tell me what that is. What are you talking about? Why did you say this right Yes, yes. I, I, and, 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 and I love that. And it's yeah. one thing we want to get from today. Never be afraid to ask those questions because we've got to learn this knowledge. We've got to get it somehow. Yep. Yep. And even, and, and from that, I mean, I would just go home and just Google and I was on the computer constantly, you know, what does debt service coverage ratio, what does that mean? And why is the bank so interested in that? And what, what does this mean? What does that mean? So I was either asking them or I was on the computer looking things up constantly. So that time went, went by. Um, I, uh, I had taken the real estate courses to get my license early on. Um, and whenever I was doing houses, I chose not to do that just because of the law of agency, which basically states that they, they, they hold someone with a license to a higher standard. And I knew I was buying these houses so inexpensively. I didn't want to set myself up for some kind of drama in the future. But um, 
Witt had a commercial broker he was working with at the time who was really, really good. He basically said, this guy can just make it rain and brought him a lot of, a lot of good deals. And I really liked this guy. He had his own company. He had, he, he owned his own commercial real estate company. And so I talked to him he said, you know, Jeff, you need to think about going and getting your license and being a broker. You know, you, there's no risk involved and there's, there's just putting in the time and effort, which you already do. And you can get paid on that side. A commercial broker. Com- commercial broker. So I went ahead and went back. I'd already taken my classes. I had to add, they had added two more since that time I had taken them. I took those two classes, took the review, went and took my test, passed, and um, then got my commercial license. And then so from working with WIT, um, I, was, I was there for, you know, four years maybe. Um, then I transferred over to this other guy who had become a friend and he owns uh, his own brokerage company and became a broker there. Um, and so from that, I, you know, I had really one and a half to two years of brokerage service there. And it was a lot of things fell my way. Um, and, and, and I did really well. And so from that, him and I bought our first building, um, in 2012, I think. And it was, uh, it was a building he was brokering. He had someone, he had someone set up to buy the building that and it fell out and this person ended up not buying it. And I think that he thought I knew more about real estate than I really did. <laughs> um, and, and, and so I can, and I can front that pretty well. And actually at the time I probably thought I knew more about real estate than I really did. Um, and so he said, Hey, Jeff, why don't we think about buying this building ourselves? Um, and it's a, it's a, you know, 60,000 square foot building. Um, and, but the one catch was that Sprouts was in there. And so Sprouts was, could pay the note if we went and bought it ourselves. But you got to know that I wasn't even thinking those thoughts. That, that's not how my brain even was working. I wasn't even looking for those kind of opportunities because that's not the world I was in. Even though, even though I learned a lot with Whit and Frank, I, I I wasn't looking at it from an owner perspective. I was just absorbing how numbers work and that kind of stuff. But I was still just more of a more or less a project manager in a sense. And so, um, um, him and I talked about it. I did have a relationship with um, a guy who had. The, that could put the money down, which is going to be significant amounts, like $1.7 million in equity. And I'd done some business with this guy and sold him a building and done some other stuff. So I listened very carefully to my new business partner that owned this commercial company on how he explained how this would work, because I wasn't really understanding it myself, asked some questions, and then went and presented it to my friend that eventually became our equity partner. And that's how we bought this first building. And what was so amazing to me is that, and I'm hoping this is, I'm telling this because I'm wanting it to be encouragement to people that are listening, is that I'm coming, you know, only maybe three or four years, four years, four or five years out of BK, not really understanding that much about commercial real estate not having any money to contribute and I'm in this deal 
and I'm a 50% owner or, or, or uh, my business partner are 50% owners. So I really have a 25% interest, you know, in a, in a building that's going to ultimately sell for $15.2 million. Hey, so, I want to, I want to touch on something right there. So, uh, and I actually met with a broker yesterday. He does hotels and, uh, one of the ways that you have gone to the next level, if we really break that down is you went from just, instead of just being the worker, let's say the realtor, the commercial broker on a deal and making that amount of money. And a lot of those guys make good money, right? right? But the real wealth is made when you start to participate in deals. Correct. You get, you get out of the mindset of you're still working for the man or your 1099 or whatever. And then you start doing your own deals. Now what's cool about this situation with you is uh, you know, you just, you, you know, you, you kind of said that, this wasn't even on your radar. Not but at all. This guy came to you, the owner of the brokerage company. And because you built such good rapport and you're such a good, humble dude, he said, Hey, Jeff, why don't you come into this with me? So that opportunity right there just was the spark that you needed to take off and to do that rocket launch. And we can't gloss over how good of an opportunity that was but certain things have to come into place, right? Right, right. Yeah. That definitely was the catapult for sure. And, um, and I, I love that story because we always talk about how'd you get started? How'd you get the first one? How'd you get the big break? And that right there was such a huge break. And I tell these guys, I, the conversation I had yesterday, the guy's been doing it for like five years, never participated on a deal. And, you know, he's made whatever he's made year after year. I don't know. He's probably making 100 grand, 150, whatever, which isn't bad. But the real wealth is made when you start to participate in these deals, right? When you start to buy into the company, not working for the company. And that's that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show was because of that right there. You've gone to the next level. How'd you get to the next level? And that's what's so important about this podcast. We want to encourage people, but we want to uh, point to where the actual pivot was made. So Mm. uh, Mm. continue on, man. So that was it. That was the that was the the pivot for me was that opportunity. And it's, you know, it's what, it, it's what it was, was an opportunity. And so um, you can look at this different ways, but the way I look at it is that I didn't make that happen, right? Some people think in their mind, if I go and work hard enough, hard enough, I do this. There's a plenty of guys out there that work hard, hard, hard. And I'm, I'm kind of a believer in, Whatever I'm doing, I want to do it well, and I want to learn as much as I can learn about it. And I also want to uh, not compromise other values, just life values that I've set for myself. And then I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to kind of trust that that these things will work out as they're intended to work out. It's like I, I don't want to file BK. I don't want to go through the experience I have. But that experience led to me working with these guys and learning this and that experience, although I learned a lot, it was not, it was still a harder experience. It's still something I didn't want to be doing. I didn't want to be getting up and going to work on the, on the nine to five day to day, making a lot less, making a tapped out salary that had no, no upside in. But I learned a lot from that. And that led to me getting my broker's license and being this. So I think that things, if you, you got to see the big picture, what I have now or where I am now, I wanted this in 2005. I wanted this 15 years ago. 
Right. And I wanted it so bad. And I wasn't even close to being ready to have it. You know? Touch on why you think that is. Say it again? Touch on why you think that is. You said you weren't ready. Because I think I didn't have the maturity. I don't think I had the I don't think I had the emotional maturity nor the business maturity to have what I have now in 2005. In 2005, too much of uh, who I told myself I am was wrapped up in all of that. So I, I, I wanted, I wasn't wanting that for my wife and my kids and, and for, for other more noble things. I did, but it was a smaller percentage of that. I wanted to be recognized in my neighborhood. I wanted other guys that I know that were doing real estate to recognize me as someone who was significantly contributing to real estate, someone who really knew what they were doing. So, so much of my identity at the time was wrapped up in being recognized at, at being successful. And so I was, um, and I just didn't have the maturity, didn't have the emotional maturity nor the business maturity to be there. Um, but I, I pushed it. I think that's, I think I pushed it like with the, with all the housing stuff. I think I was doing way too much, got involved in way too much because I wanted to be at a certain place in, in a certain time frame. And it all came, it just came a lot slower than I wanted it to come. You know, you, you touched on a very humble point and I can look back at the setbacks in my life that I've had and I can probably look to a lack of maturity as well. Right. Mm. A lack of, you know, sometimes hate to admit it, but maybe even a lack of character at the time. Mm. And, you know, sometimes you just need to grow that character. And when the character catches up, it seems like the other stuff will catch up with it. And as much as we don't like to pull back the curtains and admit that, I know that's been the case in my life. And Oh, man, that's so true, Shane. That's that's a great point. And and so that I'll say this, that also it helps with who you surround yourself with. Um, so there's a guy that I I learned a ton from. It's a guy named Al Nail. So while I'm talking about the commercial stuff, the one thing I never gave up was wholesaling houses. Right. That was my side hustle. That's kind of how I made it. So the, the salary I made, like when I was working with Witten Frank really didn't pay all pay all the bills. So I always wholesaled houses, um, something I really enjoyed and was good at. And I would probably wholesale 24, 25 houses a year. One year, I think I did 55. And I sold to one person. It's a guy named Al Nail. He had a business that um, he owner financed houses. So he raised a fund of money um, that was in the millions. And then he would buy houses. He would hold, he, he would owner finance them. So he owned them free and clear. Then he'd owner finance them. Then he'd give a return to his investors. And then he would make the upside from what he bought it to what he sold it on. And so I was his main supplier. So I think that he did really well. He sold, he sold out to his business partner. He went to Mexico for a year, took his family, then came back. And I caught him right when he's coming back, trying to get started. And I think that over seven years or so, I sold him close to 200 houses. Um, so I was doing that. And so I'm, I'm getting back to the character part. He's a, a person of very strong character and learned a lot from him as well. I was really fortunate to have people in my life that I learned a lot from. 
And one thing was I was going to look at this house over in Oak Cliff and I called the lady. I'd find these houses. They were on the market. I'd find the owner, then approach them and try to buy it, put it under contract. And she said, well, how much will you give me for it? And at the time, this was a long time ago, I said, uh, I think I could probably give you 35. And she goes, OK, I'll do that. Just that quick. So in my mind, I went, wow, I overpaid. I could have got that for less. Right. Even though 35 was, I think, a, a very fair price and we'd have made money at 35 easy. So then I thought about it and it just bothered me. So then I called her back that evening. I said, you know what? Um, I've got a partner in this. He drove by it and he thinks I'm too high. And, you know, I, I hate to do this, but we're really at 32 and not 35. And she goes, oh, she goes, let me, she's like, I got to think about that. You know, 35 is a good price, a fair price. I was willing to do that, but let me think about it and I'll call you back. And she said, okay. I said, okay. So that just stuck with me. I'm like, wow, what am I doing? And then I talked to my partner, Al, and he's like, yeah, Jeff, we, that's not who we are. That's not what we want to be about. I said, you're exactly right. So the next day she had not called me <clears throat> and I called her and it took everything I could. Oh, it was just a sick feeling in my stomach. And I told her, I said, you know what? Yesterday, whenever I called you, I told you my business partner drove by to see the house and he was at 32. And I said, actually, I lied. I lied to you um, because when you accepted the offer at 35, I thought I was leaving too much money on the table. So uh, that's why I called you back. So um, I, I told her, I said, I'm the offer still good at 35. I'm sorry I lied to you. And if you don't want to do it, I totally understand. And she said, well, thank you for your honesty. And I, I got to think about that. And so she hung up a day passed. She called me back and she said, I really want to, I appreciate you calling and let me know what you did. That was wrong. And, but I appreciate you admitting it and I will take the 35,000. And so we closed the deal, but I'm glad you brought that up because I think so much of it is on character, right? I mean, I was going to, I was about to sacrifice my character for $3,000 and I will never forget that lesson. And that lesson has served me well from, from that point forward in bigger deals where a whole lot more money's on the line. And, and I can tell you, I bought a house from you and uh, I remember you told me a number and we agreed on it. Right. And yep. uh, <laughs> after yep. the fact, the day later, whatever you had, I don't know, a, a much better offer. $200,000 more. <laughs> I remember it. And, but you didn't do it. And you, as you honored your work and I knew you would just because I knew the character of who you were. And I, I was always blown away by that. So that, that's one of the things, you know, when you talk about looking up to the bigger brother, I, I always knew that you were a man of character. And uh, we've had many discussions, you know, we've been to lunch many times where we had this discussion on it. So I'm glad we got around to it in this podcast. So, so because it's so key in business. Yes. yes. And if you lack character in business, you will not be in business very long. That's right. That's I right. can tell you that. And if you do manage to have some success in spite of your lack of character, you will lose it in other areas of your life. Mm -hmm. Right. You'll lose mm -hmm. it on the relationship side. You, you know, you'll get, you know, you'll struggle in the marriage. You'll struggle with the relationship with your kids, whatever you will struggle without that lack of character. So yeah, I'm really glad that we touched on that and you are the epitome of that. So thanks for sharing. Very true. Just a quick comment. I, I was wrong. Not 200,000 was 20,000. 
It was yeah. twenty thousand. That was the that was the largest flip I'd ever done. It was a for a hundred thousand. And then Shane was like, "Oh man, that's so much money. Can you break knock, knock it down to 80? I said, "Okay, we'll do 80. <laughs> and the next day, I had a guy bring me an offer for a hundred. I was like, "Ah, it's already done." <laughs> and I appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. All right. So when you uh, you know, you put that first big deal under contract with a commercial agent. Mm-hmm. And then can you tell us what you cleared when you sold that, when you got your first big deal sold? Yeah. What was that big payday? Um, so, so this, this, this is a, this is one of those things where I go, I, I think it's, I always ask myself, why is this? Why is it always uncomfortable to talk about money? And so much of it is, I think because of it's just cultural, right? It's cultural. We don't talk about money. So I'm going to talk about money with my kids and I let them know everything. You know, I think my parents were very close about it. So I'm going to I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to tell it this because I want it to be encouraged to other people. But so when we did that deal and there was so much to it, I mean, there were so many workings to that deal to where, I mean, the day we were supposed to close, we were filed with a subpoena for a lawsuit because the neighbors next door didn't want the people buying it that bought it. Um, There was all kind of stuff that went on that in it in closing drug on for almost 15 months later, it was over a year when I thought we were going to close it versus when we were closing. So there's a lot of stuff that happened with that. When it finally was done, it was a little anticlimactic, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I, when the funds hit our account, I sent over to my business partner $1.9 million and I sent to my account $1.9 million and then we kept 200 in our business account. So it was a, it wasn't, it was surreal. You know, I was kind of in a, in a fog for four five, six, seven days. You know, it's just that game changer where you can pay your house off and you can pay debt off and car notes and this and that. But what transaction? One point nine million for my part, part my portion, and I That's had twenty five percent interest. Yeah. I, I remember after you did that, you telling me you just kind of stared at the screen. I couldn't believe it. Looking at my bank account, stared at the screen. Now I will tell you this, though. And you know that, that's like ten years of work, right? Yeah, 15, 20 years of work for the average guy. You did it on one deal. Yeah, just to make the first, first that first million. And what's so crazy is that. It took that long to make that one, but then the second one, the second million on the on the the next deal was only two years away. So I mean, the first one is the hardest. Then after the first one, that's what people always say that, and and I'm super fortunate I got to experience that. But um, but what I was going to tell you is that on that first one, there was two roads going on, right? So there's so there's that road of commercial, and there's the road of residential. So this is where it gets a little bit more complicated. So the uh, the guy I was telling you about, Al Nail, I was learning the whole wholesaling business from him. And so um, <clears throat> at that same time period, when we bought the commercial building, I went and raised, Fannie Mae was selling houses and they were selling them nationwide. And I put in to be a Fannie Mae bidder and it took me a while. It took me about six months to, to get this done. 
and I bid on some houses that I won. I won these houses. I won 16 houses. And Al was my financial backer on that. And so I gave him four that were in Texas that he really liked. And then I took the other 12, which were in New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, Arkansas. And I went, put signs in the yards of all those, took calls and sold them on notes, sold them all in 60 days. It was unbelievable. And so I was so excited about that. I told Al, I said, Al, let's, let's ramp up and go buy across the country because there's, we only bought in the Southwest region, but they have these across the country in eight different regions. And Al was very cautious. He said, you know, Jeff, I, this worked out really well, but I don't know if it'll work out well in other parts of the country. And at the time I'd met a guy that was, there's another guy that was here buying thousands of houses that was here locally. Um, and so he had a group in South Carolina that were managing these properties for him. So I figured this guy is successful. He's got a ton of money. He actually, at the time, he had 4,000 houses with this management group in South Carolina. So I more or less talked Al into kind of backing me on this first one while I went and raised money and I could pay him back. So the next round came along three months, uh, two months later, and I bid on all these houses, not expecting to win hardly any of them. And I won all seven regions, which was about 165 houses. And I had to come up with 1.1 or $1.2 million in 48 hours, which I didn't have because I didn't start raising the fund yet. So um, I went to him reluctantly. He loaned me the money. I bought these houses and then I put together my fund and hit the hit the road trying to uh, go raise money and, you know, raised it in a few months, paid him back. Um, so that was the journey also on owner finance of houses, which did not end well. And so from the time I started the commercial buying the commercial building in Capel, that's when I started the house funds. I was doing them simultaneously. <clears throat> And by the time that I sold a couple of years later, the, the Coppell deal, the house fund had gone upside down. And so even though I had a PPM, this is comes into this as well. Even though I had a, a what's called a private placement memorandum PPM that said, Hey, you're going to enter into this deal. It's high risk. You could lose all your money. And really I, I have nothing at risk. Right. Um, when this thing fell apart, uh, I was like, dang, the only reason these people even signed up is because of me. That's that's it. They, they It wasn't that they looked at this PPM and read it and understood it. They're just like, OK, Jeff's doing this. I think we'll be able to make good money on it. Like the first year I was paying an interest. And then that beginning of that second year, people started uh, falling out and not paying. And then we couldn't get the houses leased. There is a big fallout. So after the Coppell closing, I had to wind down the house fund, which was, you know, about, like I said, about one, 1 1.2, 1.3 million dollars. And so I just matched my investors. So I, I basically I, I paid them back half of what they had invested 
which was, you know, $750,000 or so. And I was only had that money because of the Coppell deal. So through, through having to unwind this and, and all the expenses that went along with that fund combined with paying them back uh, on their investment, then things kind of leveled out more. I still was up, but it, it was interesting that that happened simultaneously. Yeah. And I appreciate you even, you know, again, it goes back to character instead of you letting these people lose all that money. Cause you're, it, it was essentially you and I've experienced the same kind of thing. Right. And, uh, you know, there's an attorney. He's like, well, they're on their own, man. And you can just file BK and do this and right. sit right. And I was like, man, we still got to pay them back because they only invested in me and not for the deal. For you to take that hiccup, what what was the final hiccup that you took on that project that you paid back on your own? Oh, it was over a million dollars. That's painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you have the 1.9 minus the mill, you're still up nine, right? You're so, still up. Yeah. yeah. But again, it goes back to character. And the reason you got to the one nine because of the solid character, the reason you got the next deal that you said cleared, you know, another big chunk was because of the character and that. That's the good part about business. When you do that, how well do you sleep at night? Very well. Very. Very well. That, that's that's that is that is a thing that does. Uh, there's there's a higher level to to business than than in life than just money. So, that's right. And I've hmm. always heard the adage: if 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 you do something shady, it always comes back to bite you in the ass. That is so true. Yep. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Hey, one more thing before we leave. Uh, One thing I want to say that uh, every one of these dudes that you've mentioned in your story, you have introduced me to, and I have done business with them. So uh, you and me go through this process where we introduce each other to each other's uh, friends and cohorts. And I can tell you every single person that you mentioned that you've introduced me to as a man of character. Mm. And I always, know that, that if you introduce me to somebody, it's going to be somebody that's a good human being, not just a mm-hmm. good, but they're good at life and they're good people. And that's something we need to remember in business as well. You know, it's, it's agree. you hang out with and connecting others. And one last thing that I want to touch on before we go sure. is uh, you and I, I wish that you and I got to hang out every week, but we don't. So probably about every two or three months we get together on the phone, yeah. we yep. chat. And what is cool is you're always doing something next level, right? Mm. And then, but I'm growing too. So we have these awesome things where, you know, we plan on doing a 10 minute conversation on the phone. It grows to an hour, but we're just catching up on all the thing that's going on from the last 60, 90 days. Right. And that's the beautiful thing about, you know, you having this 10 X mindset of being on massive growth is you always have something cool to share 60 days with, somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Mm. And that's mm. the conversations you and I always have when we're on the phone. So that part's cool. Love it. I appreciate you being on today. I love the story. You have this massive evolution and anybody's got a growth mindset. It's an evolution. We all have these humble beginnings. We talked about before we went on air, I used to push carts at, at Walmart and I would clean up the throw up. You know, if, if, if somebody threw up, they'd be like, we need a code 25 on all nine. That was me. Yeah. <laughs> Clean that up. Had to clean the bathrooms. Yeah. And we all have humble beginnings and we love sharing the stories and we all need mentors. And that's what this podcast is all about. So mm-hmm. thank you for
for your time today. JP, you got anything to add? No, that was a great story. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Sprouts. That was, was that the Albertsons deal? Uh huh. That was the Albertsons deal there in, in Coppell. Uh huh. I remember that story now. That yeah. story took me for a long time. I remember when I first heard it. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, thank you for coming on. And, uh, you know, if you guys have any questions or anything like that, feel free to uh, hit the links below the video. Make sure to rate and subscribe us. And we'll see you guys next week. See you guys. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right.